0: Okay, we're going to begin this story called "Buying Ivy House, New Bolingbroke." This is at the very beginning of its a room life, Book Three, uh, "Ivy House Tales, 1970 to 1984." In 1970, Ruth and I had been living for about three and a half years in our new, se- new small semi-detached house on the Woodside Estate of Houses on Boston's London Road only just passed my old family home at number 129. Daughter Helen was now two years old, coming three. When we first moved into the new house, everything was bliss, but by now one or two things had begun to annoy us. The neighbours were great, particularly Peter and Margaret, who lived diagonally opposite. Peter was a charge nurse and Ruth's boss at the local orthopaedic hospital just down the road. Margaret was a ward sister in another department at the same hospital. Peter was my regular helper for all things unusual such as collecting and repairing old cars, changing car engines in the drive outside our house and we sailed together. Peter had a mirror dinghy he built in his garage and Ruth and I had bought Bamboozle, our Merlin rocket dinghy, in the second year of our marriage. It was when Ruth began working on night duty as senior staff nurse on the orthopaedic ward that we became far more aware of the increased noise level from the huge timber yard behind our estate. They had built a new saw shed and circular saw noise can be particularly penetrating. During the day she could not sleep and things became so bad she went across the road to sleep at the old Sanders family home now lived in by Grandmother Munford my grandmother on my mother's side of the family. Firestone at Lincoln Firestone, my employers, were being more demanding with inroads being made by American parent company management and the day they sent me a telegram while Ruth was trying to sleep telling me to get off my arse and sell X number of tyres before the end of the week she saw scarlet. They did not try that again. So I have set the scene and we're not happy at Woodside anymore. At the same time, Firestone UK's new American management team were beginning to destroy the 40 years or so of well-established business here in Britain and I had begun to look elsewhere to earn my living in the future. Boats were the family hobby. I knew as much about boats of all kinds as I did about tyres doing my everyday job. EcyB was created and managed to obtain several boat transport jobs. A regular boat delivery contract was my next objective. Meanwhile, each Friday, my Firestone boss, Fred Popham, continued to insist that we maintained our weekly habit while we could. This was that I complete all my business calls in the Lincoln area by lunchtime then arriving in the district office something our new American bosses had distinctly stipulated lowly salesmen should never do so we could have lunch together and officially discuss the weekly sales figures before this pleasure I was always given the task of earning my bread by selling something he thought had been too long in stock Lunch we did enjoy, normally at the East Hotel, quite close to Lincoln Cathedral. Sales figures we did not discuss at great length, but the main subject close to our hearts was how to defeat the American management team that had begun to invade our previously very successful and very English branch of their American-owned worldwide conglomerate. Journey Home I travelled home each Friday by way of Horncastle, my journey concluding by enjoying the beautiful rural scene to be found on the Seven Miles Strait, the road between Reevesby and Frithville just north of Boston. This one particular Friday I'd been following KEN45 once again, an orange coloured MG Midget and another regular user of the same road. My car now was an 1100cc Mark 1 Escort CGJ18H. Company cars were normally kept for just three years and then changed. This had been my first change, the old Ford Anglia with its huge mileage and misshapen rear bumper having gone to another world via the commercial car auctions. The MG Midget had left Lincoln at the same time as myself and had been trying to shake me off his tail the whole journey. C.G.J. 18H, though, had been in my hands for two years, was well broken in and could fly. Halfway down the seven mile straight is the village of New Bolingbroke, and it was here that K.A.N. 45 slowed down and turned into the yard of the old Globe Inn. But what had caught my eye at the same instant was a for sale sign outside the house next door. New Bolingbroke. New Bolingbroke, in its own way, is a village packed with history. The name Bolingbroke comes from its older relative, just a few miles further north, on the very edge of the Lincolnshire Walls. Old Bolingbroke was the birthplace of Henry IV, the local stronghold being owned by his Lancastrian father, John O'Gaunt. Anya Seaton's famous book Catherine has important references to Old Bolingbroke. The new town of New Bolingbroke was created in the very early 1800s by a young chap called John Parkinson, who was at that time the son of the manager of the estates of the famous botanist Joseph Banks and his family, who lived close by at Reevesby Abbey. The Totally Straight Road was created after the town had been built, the town, complete with rope works, candle factory, brickworks, and several other industrial enterprises. Even today the village has a town hall that has done duty as school, library, market hall and is now a community building. Other major features are a crescent of London townhouses in the centre, long rows of workers' cottages at either end of the village and Ivy House. The home of john parkinson it was a large square georgian house well positioned close to the road with holly trees on either side of its imposing portico doorway on the south side of the house was a lovely walled garden with lawn sweeping down to one of the navigable land drains that connect the whole village by water transport to boston the land drain concluded at the bottom of that garden And it was this way that all the building materials and requirements for the whole community had originally been transported to the village. We're just turning a page. Ivy House. Ivy House was for sale. A truly beautiful, well-proportioned Georgian house that had attracted my attention on numerous occasions as I passed through the village. As soon as I arrived home, I told Ruth all about Ivy House and we decided to contact the house agents the very next morning. It was an agent who Ruth and I both knew well, as he was married to a daughter of Cyril Keatley, the owner of one of Boston's department stores. And Cyril's youngest son was one of our Sea Scouts. It all helped. We had an appointment to view, and on that Saturday afternoon, Julie arrived to be welcomed by Peter Leely and his wife. Peter's family had very close connections with John Parkinson, but his own family history was even more difficult to comprehend when we realised his great ancestor had been the Lele, official painter to the court of King Charles II. A self-portrait of this reverend gentleman actually graced the walls of Ivy House. We were in austere company indeed. A tour of the house concluded the fact that we just loved everything about it even the brightly hand-painted wallpaper in the master bedroom that closely resembled hugely startling coloured cauliflowers. Every room oozed character, with lovely fireplaces, large high ceilings with plaster cornices, tall windows with original oak frames, a kitchen that resembled a football field with views down steps into the glorious south-facing garden and an annex with huge open fireplace and accompanying bread oven. Furnishings were somewhat sparse, as Peter and his family were due to leave for Spain in a matter of days, where he was to set up an art school. For example, we were invited to stay for tea, that turned out to be jam sandwiches that we helped prepare on a plain hardwood table in the centre of the kitchen. The Purchase To ensure a quick sale, the house was to be auctioned in a week's time. The agent had explained to us that if we wished to buy for the reserve price required and avoid the possibility of having to pay more at the auction, then we would have to find and pay double the normal deposit to stop the auction. That would be 20% of the asking price of £5,000. We told the Leely family that we loved their home and would be moving heaven and earth to buy it On that Saturday afternoon though (laughs) we would not the foggiest idea where to get £1,000 never mind the remaining balance Fortunately we both had good jobs and a very understanding bank manager Even more fortunate it was in the days when bank managers were a power in their own right and friendly too On the Monday morning, I asked our bank manager for a bridging loan of £1,000. This was, remember, when fantastic wages were £27 a week. He said, if we could get the mortgage arranged in principle from the building society that had loaned us the money for our woodside house, then he would cover the loan until our house was sold. I had to work fast. And in fact was able to put the whole deal together in time to pay the huge deposit and make sure the house would be ours. We were both ecstatic. Because we paid the extra deposit uh, we could move in just as soon as Peter and his family left for Spain. The whole of this time was very much like a dream. We loved everything about Ivy House and the more we explored the more we found. We knew there was a huge building behind the house and running along the entire north side of the garden there was an old Maltings, a vast building that we soon put to good use by storing boats from some friends and buses from a continental camping tours company owned by Cyril Keatley. Behind the bottom garden wall were three stables and small grassed over yard dropping down to the navigable drain. There were even the remains of an old barge deep in the water on the edge of the drain side. Meet the neighbours We began to meet our neighbours in a most unusual way. The day we were given the keys we took our woodside close neighbours John and Cathy with us to explore. No sooner had we arrived than there was a commotion just the other side of our garden at the side of the Globe house. Behind the Globe lived the Picker family Dad was foreman to Rundle's engineering workshop, the largest employers in the area, and based in the village. And with his wife, they were bringing up a huge family. The youngest at that time, a very young girl, had fallen into the navigable drain, and there was huge concern for her life. Ruth and Cathy were both both nurses, and Julie went across to assist. All was well eventually, and we had crossed the first hurdle with meeting our neighbours. Buying the house and the inclusive costs, while still having the responsibility of 45 Woodside, had drained literally every penny we had. Dick, the estate agent, had explained that there was one of the workers' cottages in North Row for sale by the Lely family at the same time. We could have bought it for just £250, but we'd not got 250 pence to spare, so I had to turn this wonderful offer down. At the side of Ivy House, to the north, though, there was a large plot of land included in the sale to us. We did not realise at that time just how important this plot would be in the year to come. 45 Woodside Back in Boston, we had put 45 45 Woodside up for sale and waited anxiously for a buyer to appear. Houses were selling reasonably well, but it took eight months for someone to actually make a firm offer. Number 45 was a good house in a corner position. We had equipped it with underfloor gas-powered warm air central heating, French doors at the rear of the through lounge diner and a carport behind the garage where we kept Bamboozle, the sailing dinghy. The family that were interested dragged their feet and then on the day they should have signed at our agreed price demanded a further reduction. We were furious as to us the low price had already been agreed. We always stuck to our agreements. Now we were being held over a barrel. They knew we were very anxious to sell and had to agree to reduce the price even further as our bank charges were growing with the bridging loan. We're just turning the page. Ruth and I decided that if the purchasers wanted the house on the cheap then we were entitled to take from the house what little extras we could that made that given it just that little bit extra value. On the final day of our possession we removed all the substantial planking we had installed in the loft to give us extra storage space. We also removed the electric extractor fan that I had installed in the back door panel. I replaced it with the original glass but only used polyfiller instead of putty. We did leave them the light bulbs It so happened to our intense amusement that on our next visit to Peter and Margaret's house, just diagonally opposite to 45, Peter told us he thought the new owners were doing something in the bedroom ceilings as some sort of fabric was poking through in the ceiling of the front bedroom. On close inspection, as the new owners were not there at the time, we could see that someone had been in the loft, had consequently fallen through the ceiling while trying to balance on the roof beams. The material dangling through the hole was the fiberglass fiberglass loft insulation that had come through with their feet and legs. We felt somewhat compensated for their last-minute niggardliness in their demands for further reductions in price. Life quickly changed with our first real taste of country living as a family. The relief from the constant circular saw noise we had to endure at number 45 was a huge weight from our minds. But apart from this, the house and gardens and outbuildings were huge, and we found ourselves constantly amazed with this wonderful space and character of the house that was to change our lives. There we are. That was a bit longer than usual. I hope you enjoyed that story brought to you by Cracker Books, written and read by Keith Sanders. There are more stories to read on Keith Sanders' is the Storyman.wordpress.com. Lots more free audio stories on this Buzzsprout site. There are free videos to watch on Keith Sanders' the short storyman on YouTube, including horse videos. And there's a shop. Uh, all the stories you listen to or read are compiled into books. This is the first story in book three. Uh, They're available on sale. They're very inexpensive. They're easy to download on the internet. Have a look at the site. It's com. Thank you for listening.